Good morning, brothers and sisters. We extend a warm welcome to our brothers and sisters who have joined us this morning for worship of our triune God. We also extend a special welcome to all the visitors who have joined us here in church and to those who are with us remotely via the live stream. May we all be comforted and encouraged through the preaching of the gospel and may God be glorified through our worship. Consistory is the following announcement. You are reminded that the funeral of our late brother Hank Husinger is scheduled for 9.30am tomorrow at Rockingham Regional Memorial Park, followed by a service here in this building at 11am. This morning's service will be led by Reverend Poppy, and before we commence, let us sing together Psalm 33 verse 6. Brothers and sisters, please rise and let us worship the Lord. As the people of God, we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Amen. Let's now sing together. We're going to sing from Psalm 125, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4.
One of the special gifts God's given us is the gift of his law. It's through his law that he teaches us who he is and also what he has all done for us. And he also teaches us how to live in a relationship with him. Let's listen to the words of God's law. And after that, we're going to sing together from Psalm 25. The law comes to us this morning in Exodus 20. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and who keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who's within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Let's now sing together in response from Psalm 25, the verses 4 and 5.
Let us pray to God. Almighty God and Father in heaven, we come before you this morning, we honor you that you are the glorious God, that you are majestic and awesome in holiness, seated on the throne and having authority over all things. We praise you, Father, that you are dwelling in inapproachable light, that no one can, can come to you because your holiness, your majesty is so great that anyone who comes into your presence is over, overwhelmed by your presence. We thank you, Father, that you are yet willing to meet with us. You're willing to invite us into your presence. You've made it possible through the blood of your Son. You sent Jesus Christ, and for Christ's sake, you cover our, our sins. And for Christ's sake, you allow us to come into your presence. Father, we humble ourselves before you. We recognize your glory, your majesty, your holiness. And we thank you that we may yet approach you. We do so in great humility. But we have to confess that we are sinners. Again, this past week, we've said things, and we've done things that are displeasing to you. And we deserve your wrath and your condemnation. And then, Lord, we, we humble ourselves and we pray that, that you would look upon us in love and mercy. We just sang together from Psalm 25. We confess there that, that all your paths are love and mercy and faithfulness that never ends for those who keep your covenant and for those who honor the demands of the covenant. And then, Lord, we, we pray that you would make us into such people. Please help us to, to flee from sin. Help us to live righteous and holy lives before you. Please work powerfully in our hearts with your spirit that we may love you with all our heart and that we, we understand that your law is, is glorious and that it leads to a beautiful life of fellowship together with you. Father, we ask that your face would shine upon us for Jesus' sake, that you be merciful to us, and that you show your kindness to us. We also pray, Lord, that you would bless us this morning through your word. Thank you for the good instruction that you give us, that you're God who wishes to, to lead us in your ways and to direct us to walk in fellowship with you. We pray that you would grant that your word would find a place within our hearts, we contemplate the things that you say, that we take these things to heart, that we apply these things in our lives. Give us wisdom, Lord, to know how to live. Please help us with your Holy Spirit for Jesus' sake. Please also accept the worship that we offer you this morning, Lord. Grant that the songs that we sing and the prayers that we offer, the thank offerings we bring and the confession we make, that it may be pleasing in your sight, and that you may be glorified through us. Thank you for being willing to listen to us. And thank you for, for allowing us to meet with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, this morning I may preach God's word to you as we find that in Ephesians 5, the 20, verses 22 to 24. It's a passage in which the Lord calls wives to submit to their husbands. It's part of a godly context for marriage. I'd like to, to put those words into context. So our reading this morning is going to be first from Ephesians 5, the verses 22 to 33, and then also from 1 Peter 2, verse 18 to chapter 3, verse 7. So I invite you to open your Bibles first to Ephesians chapter 5. You can find that on page 1162 of your guest Bible.
So Ephesians 5, start reading at verse 22, and we read to the end of the chapter. There God's word says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And then we turn in our reading to, to Peter. We're going to read together 1 Peter chapter 2 and on into chapter 3. So you can find that on page 1204. So 1 Peter 2, starting at verse... 18. The context here is that back in verse 13 and following, the Lord teaches us to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. So that's to the governing authorities. Then in verse 18, 1 Peter 2 verse 18, God continues, he says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it If when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won over without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious." For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, 
as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. So far, the the reading of God's word. Let's now sing together. We're going to sing from Psalm 128. It's the song that celebrates the blessing of God that comes on the man who serves him and trusts him, and also a blessing that comes on his family. So Psalm 128, the verses 1, 2, and 3. text for the sermon this morning is taken from Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to look specifically at the verses 22 to 24. Let's read those verses together. So Ephesians 5, 
verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Then after the proclamation of God's word, we're going to sing together from Psalm 133, verses 1 and 2. Dear brothers and sisters, congregation loved by the Lord Jesus Christ, one of the special gifts that God has given to us is the gift of marriage. It's a really kind gift of God. Many of you have experienced that. We have some single members of our congregation, but there's also many, many people here who, who have received the gift of marriage and who get to celebrate that. And the Lord did so because... When he first saw man, he saw that it's not good for the man to be alone, and so he said, I'm going to make a helper who's suitable for him. And so God's given you as husbands and wives to each other to help each other. It's really quite a precious thing. You get to know somebody else really intimately. You get to share deeply. You get to laugh and to play, to receive children and to raise those children. It's really special to be able to hope and dream together, to be able to be tender and affectionate, to lift the other person up when they're down, to be able to love the other person, to be able to expose all your, your own sins, your own weaknesses, and to have somebody else still love you anyways. Well, God is good to us in allowing us to build a life together, to pray for one another, and to build each other up in the service of his name. But you know, that doesn't mean that it's always easy to be married. You know, we're sinners. In the past couple of years here in our congregation, we've had a few dozen people, young people who've gotten married. And I often meet together with the young couple and have a chance to talk with them about what does the scripture say and how do things actually really go in marriage. And they really look forward to it most of the time. I often actually start with a question. I ask the question, why do you want to get married? Some of them ask me, they kind of wonder, is that a trick question? It's not intended as a trick question, but it's just intended to reflect on what marriage is. Why did God give us marriage? What are the blessings that come through it? And it's to really help each other, to know each other, to encourage each other, build each other up. It's to have children together. It's also to give, in our marriages, a little picture of the relationship between Christ and his church. So when we love each other well as husbands and wives, that our children especially, they get, a, they get a picture of what faithfulness and trust looks like. And they learn to, to trust the Lord and to look to him for help. But then when we have these conversations, many young couples, they, they look forward to getting married and living happily ever after. And I kind of tell them, I say, well, you know, you need to, to work that doesn't happen automatically. Now, the truth is that we have a lot of unspoken assumptions. When you get married, then you have two people who come from two separate families who have two different ways of doing things, and all of a sudden you need to put it together. You need to work through all those different assumptions and expectations. That can be really tough. It's not always easy. But it's also in marriage 
when you daily live, live together in a life of committing, being committed to each other, that you get to, to see and to also experience the sins of another person up close in detail. You get to see what it looks like to live with a sinner in high definition. And somebody else gets to see your sin. And that's hard. It's in that context that we have to learn to, to humble ourselves and to confess our sins. It's often in marriage that the Lord, he works his sanctification in us in one of the most profound ways. It's really easy to, to withdraw, to make excuses, to shift the blame. The Lord really is something beautiful planned for marriage. It's the place where, where sanctification often happens in the most profound way. And then the Lord teaches us that in order for us to thrive in marriage, we have different roles and different responsibilities. He set a certain order, and he expects us to, to uphold that order if we wish to be blessed. He tells us, I'm going to bless you if you do these things. And then part of that is that he calls the husband to love his wife, and he calls the wife to submit to her husband. This week we're going to consider the roles of wives and next week that of husbands. And so I preach God's word to you with this theme, God equips wives to pursue beautiful marriages. I probably should have included there by submitting to their husbands. So the first thing is the calling of God and the second thing is the help of God. So what does it take to have a beautiful marriage? Well, our text tells us that husbands have to love their wives as Christ loved the church. That's the, the first calling. Quite striking here in this passage, the Apostle Paul, he first starts with a person who has to submit. First with wives, first with children, first with servants. And only after that, he addresses those who have positions of responsibility and authority, the husband, the father, and the master. But the, the great responsibility, I would say even the greatest responsibility, rests on the husbands. Husbands are to provide servant leadership, that they love their wives, and that they serve them in love. We're going to see exactly what that looks like. Next week, we're going to see that, that husbands are to emulate Christ. As Christ laid down his life for his wife, so a husband must lay down his life, sorry, for his church, so a husband has to lay down his life for his wife. And then comes the calling for wives, Ephesians 5.22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. What does it mean to Submit. Literally, the Greek word here means to place yourself under. It means to be subject to, to obey. It means to be under the authority of another or to take a subordinate position. So really submission means that you put yourself under the authority, under the guidance, under the leadership of another person. You don't stand up for your own rights. You don't insist on your agenda, on your glory, on your goals. No, you defer for the sake of the other. You willingly follow the leadership of another person. Now, in today's context, most people are really put off by this idea of submission. When they hear that a wife's supposed to submit to her husband, that is just radically countercultural. It seems so unfair. 
and it can lead to, to exploitation and to abuse. It makes the wife feel as if she's second rate. You know, that's how it feels to some people. But you know, it's really important to remember that wives are not the only people who have to submit. Submission is an important characteristic for everyone. Romans 13, we all have to submit to the governing authorities. Or 1 Peter 5, we all have to submit to the elders. Or just the verse prior to our text, Ephesians 5.21, it says, we have to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so submission is not just limited to wives, that they have to submit to their husbands, but submission is a part of normal life. We all have to submit. At different times, in different contexts, we have to place ourselves under the authority and guidance and leadership of other people. Well, it still seems hard. And one of the biggest reasons is because if you submit, then it feels like you're worth less. If you provide leadership, it often feels like you, you have the authority, you have the right to say or do whatever you think is best. And with that can come a sense of worth, a sense of, not necessarily power, but a sense of authority, a sense that, that you're more valuable in some way or other. And you know, if you ever struggle with that, sisters, then it's just really important to remember that, that that's just not true. We have this passage in 1 Corinthians 11. It's in verse 4 that the Lord, he talks about Again, about, actually the context there is about worship and about the place of women in worship. And then he makes this most striking statement. It tells us there that Christ has to submit to his Father. I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of the wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. So Christ submits. He submits to the Father. Does that mean he's worth less than the Father? You know, we know he shares the glory with his Father. He is all-powerful. He has the same authority. He has the same glory. He is all-knowing like his Father. And yet, he has a different role. His role is to submit. And his role is to be under his Father. And so... It's really clear from Christ that submitting doesn't mean that you're worth less. No, instead it means that you have a different role. You know, wives, if you, if you are able to submit, if you do that, that leads to really beautiful marriages. It's good to, to reflect on the promises of God. You know, God's way is that he will bless those who fulfill the roles that they've been given. Husbands have been given certain roles, wives a different role. Parents have been given certain roles, children different roles. And if you fulfill the roles that God has given you, then you rest under God's blessing. And it's really important to also remember that in the scripture, the Lord often turns things around. If you want to be first, it is the last who are first. It is the least who are greatest. You know, in the kingdom of heaven, things are often upside down. It's not what it seems. You know, if you think about that, could it be that many wives who joyfully submit to their husbands in this life will one day receive positions of glory and honor and authority in the new heaven and earth? 
wouldn't surprise me, but is the way of the kingdom. And so what God's calling you to here, sisters, is that you defer to your husbands, that you genuinely submit to the man that God has put over you. You don't call the shots, but you let him be the leader. From 1 Peter 3, we learn that it means that you seek to cultivate a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. You don't rule the house. You don't tell your husband what to do. But you have a gentle, you have a quiet spirit. You allow the husband to provide the direction. Does it mean that you're a doormat? Does it mean that your husband just gets to do whatever he wants to do? Do your opinions mean nothing? Are you going to be treated like one of the children? No, that's not the picture the Bible gives. We have a picture of what the beautiful wife looks like in Proverbs 31. And this woman, she's not under the thumb of her husband. This woman is thriving. She willingly submits to her husband. She seeks his best interest. He's elevated to position of authority in, in the city. And in the meantime, she's thriving. She's busy with all sorts of different things. She's serving her family and she's involved in, in real estate and selling things and you name it. And she's just thriving in life under the authority of her husband. Well, the husband's calling is to be very considerate of his wife. He is to live with her in an understanding way. He is to lay down his life for his wife as Christ laid down his life for his church. The husband's calling is to ensure that his wife is shining. Christ served his church so that they would be without blemish, that they would be radiant, that we would shine with his glory. And that's the husband's calling. The husband has to create the context where the wife can submit and where she can shine. But the point of the scriptures is that what the Lord says here is he's saying that at the end of the day, he says he's going to hold husbands to account for what happens in the home. One day we're all going to stand before the throne of grace and God's going to pass judgment. And when God passes judgment over our life, when he holds us accountable for what, he's, what we've done, then he's going to ask, how have things gone in your family? And that question is not going to be asked of the woman in the first place. It's going to be asked of the man. What guidance, what leadership, what direction did you provide for your family? How did it go in your home? You are responsible. And since the man is responsible, God says the woman has to submit to him. And so that's the foundational biblical context of why God calls women to submit to their husbands. Now to do that, you know, many husbands, a wise husband, is going to pay close attention to what his wife says. You know, brothers, your wives have been given special gifts, many times gifts that you don't have. You need a helper, God said day one. 
Many women are more nurturing. They're more sensitive. They have a better understanding of what's really going on in the kids' lives and the lives of the people around you. Well, a wise man is going to listen to his wife. He's going to pay attention to what she says. He's going to take that to heart. He's going to listen well to, to the instruction, to the, to the wisdom that she has. Many women are in a place where they have innate gifts that the husband lacks. And a wise husband is going to draw on that. He's going to pay close attention to his wife and let her use the gifts that she has. Not only so that she thrives, but that it also goes well for him and for her within their marriage. And so real life, how does submission actually work itself out? Well, in the first place, if there's, if there's things that need to be decided, then, then a husband and wife are going to talk it over. You're going to have conversations. You're going to listen to each other. You're going to take to heart what the other person says. And you're going to try to grow from each other. And, and nine times out of ten, if you have a conversation, if you listen to each other, you're going to be able to figure it out. And you're going to be able to find a way forwards. And on the few occasions where you have a real struggle, where you can't seem to figure it out, you can't find out what's the best thing to do, well, that's the time where at the end of the day, the wife has to submit to her husband. She needs a gentle and quiet spirit, which she follows his leadership, and she listens to his direction. God holds him accountable. And so at the end of the day, sisters, if you, you try to help your husband to make a good decision, you talk to him, you give him advice, you help him, and at the end of the day, he still doesn't listen to you, then you can find peace by saying, Lord, this is your responsibility. You need to figure this out for my husband. I try to help him, but he didn't listen to me, and so I'm going to give it over to you, and I'm going to let you figure it out for him. And then you don't have to bear that. You don't have to bear that weight. No, it's the husband, your husband, who will be held accountable for that. And it's really quite striking, if you look to our text, how insistent our text is that wives do, so, do this, and to what extent this applies. In verse 22, it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. You submit to your husband as you submit to the Lord. Well, what wife here would ever try to tell the Lord what to do? No, Lord, I don't think that's a good idea. We need to do this instead. No, Lord, I'm not going to listen to you. We're going to do, I'm going to do this instead. We never do that. We submit to the Lord. We never dream of telling him what to do. And that's the context here. That's what God says. And he takes it a step further in verse 24. Verse 24, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. In everything. There is no corner of your life in which you say, no, this is my domain, I'm going to do what I want to do, and my husband has nothing to say in that corner of my life. Now God says, a wife submits to her husband in everything. Well, wives, are you up to it? Will you do it? A lot of women don't feel like submitting. They don't like the idea. You think you know best. Or you feel like doing what you feel like doing. You don't care what he thinks. You're just going to do it. Do you know why it's so hard? 
Part of the reason is because it's part of the curse on sin. It's back in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sinned. Eve's part was that she took the leading role in that. And she was cursed for that. And part of the curse, Genesis 3.16, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. The word for desire here, it doesn't mean physical desire or sexual desire. The word has a connotation of desire to control. And that's the immediate context. Your desire will be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. You may desire to have control, but your husband is the one who will have control. And we know it's for sure the meaning here because in the next chapter, in Genesis 4, God warns Cain. Cain is he's in this bad place in his head, and God warns him. He says, sin desires to have you, but you must master it. Cain, sin wants to control you, but you have to control it. And so that gives the sense of the word desire. It has the sense of wanting to control. Part of the curse of God against sin is that women want to control their husbands. And yet God says, he says, the husband will control. He will rule. In you know, real life, at the end of the day, many women, they can, they can want to have leadership and they want to, have, to be able to set the direction, and yet still at the end of the day, it's usually still the husband who sets the direction. He will rule over you. And so one reason there's so much fighting and bickering and arguing in marriage is because of the curse of sin. A woman is unwilling to submit to her husband because she wants to rule over him. But you know, brothers and sisters, Christ freed us from the curse. Christ bore the curse for us. When he came into this world, he was given the role of submitting. God said to him, you must submit. I'm going to send you to this world. I'm going to make you suffer. You have to become a human being. You're going to bear my wrath. You're going to die. And Christ says, yes, Father, I will do that. I will submit to your authority. And he willingly came to this earth. And he talked about it. Hebrews 10 says that he took the words of Psalm 40 on his lips. Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. With a gentle and a quiet spirit, he submitted to his Father. As a sheep before its shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth when he had to endure the ultimate humiliation of the wrath of God and the suffering on the cross. Well, he did it for you, sisters. He did it to pay for all the times when you refused to submit to your husbands. He paid the price for your sin. And he redeemed you. And he promises to live in your heart and to equip you with a gentle and quiet spirit to be able to follow the leadership and the guidance of your husbands that you're able and that you're willing to do what your husband to follow the direction that your husband sets and one of the main points that Paul makes here in the Gospel of Ephesians is that he he spells out for you how rich you are in Christ you are in Christ and as someone who's in Christ the spirit of Christ lives in you just a few verses earlier before our text, Ephesians 5.18, God talks about how he gives us his spirit. 
And now in verse 22 and following, he works that out and he says, well, one of the things that means is that wives are able to submit to their husbands. You can do it through the power of the Lord Jesus. He equips you. He enables you. He gives you the humility that you need to be able to walk in his ways. It's by God's power that we're not destined for unhappy marriages where husbands and wives are always bickering and fighting. But by God's power, we can have beautiful marriages where wives submit to the leadership of their husbands and where God brings his blessing in their families. Well, you hear that, and then you think to yourself, well, what, are those, what about those situations where a husband doesn't provide loving leadership? What is a woman supposed to do if her husband doesn't serve in love? What if he's proud or selfish? What if he's inconsiderate? He doesn't think about the kids. He doesn't care about you. He's selfish in the way he lives, in the way he spends his money, in the way he spends his time. Maybe it goes even further than that. Maybe he's absent. Maybe he neglects you and neglects the kids. How's a wife supposed to submit to such a husband? Does it still stand? It's a tough question. You know, as husbands, we're sinners. There's a lot of ways in which we don't fulfill the calling that God has given us. Well, the first place we, when you think about this question, the first place is just really important to let the word of God stand, brothers and sisters. God says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. You have to submit because that's God's calling. There's only one limitation on that. There's a parallel passage, Colossians 3.18. That's the passage where it says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. So you submit if it's fitting. The implication is you don't submit if it's not fitting. And so, for example, if the husband asks the wife to do something that's not biblical, that's not godly, then the wife says, no, I'm not going to do that. Take an everyday example. Husband says to his wife, I'm not going to church this afternoon because I want to watch the game. The wife turns around and she says, forget it. I'm going to church. The Lord calls me to church. I'm going to church. That's the the limitation of, of Acts 5.29. We must obey God rather than men. That doesn't mean you only have to submit to him if you like what he's doing or if you agree with him. The foundational calling is that you submit in everything. But what about in those extreme cases? What about if he's, if he's really selfish, if he's a narcissist, if he's arrogant? Or what about if he's abusive? What if he's committed serious sin? Do you still have to submit? What's interesting in the scriptures, there's, there's one exception where a woman's no longer under the authority of her husband. It can happen, Matthew 19, that if a husband commits adultery, that a wife can get divorced from her husband. 
then in that case, she's not under his authority. That's the one exception that God provides where a husband or a wife and a, sorry, where a marriage breaks down. But for the rest, the, the, there's one passage in Scripture that probably speaks most explicitly to this, and that would be the text we read, the pastor read for 1 Peter 3. If I can ask you to open that up, and we'll just read together a few verses there. One Peter three. So the first four verses of that chapter. Find that on page twelve oh five. So 1 Peter 3, starting at verse 1, it says there, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won over without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with an imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Now the context here is we're told of some women who are married to men who are not believers. It talks here about some men who do not obey the word. And literally, the, uh, the text there, the original actually means to be an unbeliever. So some women who are married to men who are not believers. Elsewhere in the scripture, this word is used in conjunction with a man who is stubborn, a man who continues in unbelief, a man who is self-seeking, or a man who's contrary. This is not just a man who, who's slack in providing godly leadership. This is a man who's actually actively opposing the faith. How does a woman act? Peter says, you submit to him. And he says, you pursue a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. If you have a gentle and quiet spirit, you're not fighting against your husband. God actually says, you don't even say much. He says that without words, they might win over their husbands. If a woman quietly lives in gentle submission... That's probably the most powerful thing that God can do to reach the heart of her husband. Is it realistic? Is it possible? It sounds like you're going to get walked over. You try to tell that to somebody in our society and they'll tell you that you're crazy. But you know, to, to answer the word... To answer the question, is it really possible? It's important to pay attention to the first word of this text. The first word is the word likewise. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. And when you read the word likewise, then you have to ask the question, like what? And the answer to the question is given in the previous verses. You go back to verse 18 and following, you are to be... Like Christ, servants, 
You have to be subject to your own masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. And then he continues, he says, for this, for to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. And then it talks about Christ. He never sinned, he never lied, he never responded in kind to any of the terrible things that were done to him. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. You want to talk about suffering, brothers and sisters, you talk about Jesus Christ. Christ suffered profound injustice. He suffered the ultimate injustice. Yet he bore it. He endured it. He went through it, and he didn't rebel against it. And now he says to us, he says, like Christ suffered, like Christ submitted, so also wives should submit to their own husbands. And he says, this is one of the ways that God sometimes uses to bring sinful husbands to repentance. When a wife pursues a gentle and quiet spirit, when she lovingly submits to her husbands, it's literally the most powerful way that God has to touch the heart of a sinning person. And why? This is the most powerful demonstration of the grace of God. That's what it says here. It is a gracious thing when mindful of God one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. It is a gracious thing. It's an expression of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. It's not normal. Nobody normal normally endures suffering. We don't do that. But it's through God's grace that we're equipped and enabled. Christ willingly bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and life live to righteousness. And when a wife looks to Christ for help, and when she willingly submits to her husband, even when she doesn't provide good leadership, then this is the most powerful way that God is changing the hearts of the husband. Well, it's hard to quantify the calling that the Lord puts here, brothers and sisters. One of the most painful things in the world, probably the most painful thing in the world, is to be mistreated by someone who's supposed to love you. Nothing gets harder than that. And yet this is God's way. I know a number of women who've had husbands who've been foolish, ungodly. And they submitted to them. They spent a life developing a gentle and quiet spirit. It's amazing. These women were, were giants of faith. They're the great people of the kingdom. They lived incredible lives. They became incredible people. They did it through suffering, through enduring, 
through entrusting themselves to Christ and through his power being made into new people. The amazing thing is also the impact that had. Oftentimes, they're the ones who help their children to make it into glory. And many times, the Lord rescued them. Sometimes by changing their, their husbands. And sometimes by changing the situation. If you're in a situation like that, sisters, if you need help and encouragement, then the place to go is to the Psalms. The Psalms are full of suffering. Those who suffer injustice and those who entrust themselves to God in the midst of that suffering. In the end, you read all, all these Psalms, especially of David, where he gives it over to the Lord, where he finds peace, because the Lord is his God, and the Lord looks after him. But you know, at the same time, we also have to say that doesn't mean that a husband's allowed to go on in his abuse or in his neglect or in his selfishness or in his arrogance or in his pride. You know, that's sin. And the Lord calls sinners to repent. And the Lord says that if someone does sin and if they don't repent, then they rest under his judgment, they'll be excluded from his kingdom. And the Lord set things up in such a way that he says, if someone sins and you become aware of it, then you call him to repent. You tell him that's not on, that may not happen, and that it has to change. And that's a calling not just for the wives. It is for the wives in the first place. And the wives, they need to be careful that they not enable their husbands. You love your husband, and because you love your husband, the natural thing is that you try cover for him. You try to make sure that nobody really finds out the truth of what's really going on. Well, there is a time where you need to speak the truth, where you put the issue on the table and you call it out for what it is. That you call the man to repent, and if he's not willing to listen to you, that you include others. And he's not willing to listen to them, that you bring it to the church. And it's at that point that the church has a serious responsibility in caring for God's people, in caring for the wives. The elders are charged by God to call sinners to repent. And if a sinner is not willing to repent, then the elders have to admonish him. And they have to place him outside the church if he doesn't change. And if the elders are not willing to do that, then they fail in a really significant way. They will bear that responsibility before God. It's not on. And so what we need to do in these situations, brothers and sisters, is the Lord tells us that we each have a responsibility and we have to fulfill those responsibilities because it's not acceptable in the church of God if husbands mistreat their wives, if they live with them in ways that are not honoring. You know, if you do that, I've been involved in those situations too, if the elders do their task, and if they hold the man accountable, and if they call him to repent, and if he's not willing, in the end they put him outside the church. They excommunicate him. And then sometimes it gets into that situation where a woman is in a place where, where she's married to this man who is an unbeliever and who's not willing to repent. And when he goes through the process of being admonished and excommunicated, 
it often happens that the man is so sick and tired of the church and he's so sick and tired of his wife that he wants nothing to do with anyone. And then you get into this, this second place where the Lord has a second exception. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. In verse 10 and following, the Lord says that if a woman is married to a man who's not a believer and he's willing to live with her, then she shouldn't divorce him. But if she's married to a man who's not a believer and she's not willing to live with him, then she's allowed, she is not bound. Scripture says she's not enslaved. In that case, she can get a divorce. And those are the ways, that's another way which sometimes the Lord has rescued women from godless husbands. And so you think about these things, brothers and sisters, and you realize how much we all need the grace of God. We all need the Spirit of God. And these things are an exception. They're not the rule. The rule in the church is that the Spirit of God equips us to live holy lives, to live under His blessing. And that's what we seek to do. We look to Christ in faith. And through the power of the Lord Jesus, that we look to fulfill the roles that God has given us to do. And then you see it happen. A young couple starts out and there's so much growing. They have to grow in sanctification. So many ways in which a young man has to learn to take leadership. There's so many ways in which a young woman has to learn to submit. And by God's grace, over the course of 50 years, they learn how to do that. And they learn how to put it together. And then God blesses them. And they have a family where there is peace, where there is unity, where there is love, where there's safety. And the kids grow up in that environment. And we're going to see next week that that's the context within which your children learn who Christ is. Your marriage is a picture of Christ's relationship to his church. It's a picture of teaching your children especially who God is and what it looks like to live in a relationship with God. The Lord wishes that for you. He wants you to know him. He wants you to relate to each other in the way he relates to his church because that's the place where he grants his blessing. And so by God's grace, he gives his spirit. And as husbands, we are able to provide loving leadership. And as wives, we are able to submit to our husbands. And when you do that then you stand out in this world as well, brothers and sisters. It's not just your children, but it's the people around you, everyone around you. They see you married for 25 or 35 or 45 years. And they're amazed by that. They try to understand how that's possible. And they see something of the glory of God at work in you. Let's pray that God would give us a rich measure of his spirit. Let's ask that that we can cultivate this spirit within our marriages. And then let's also pray that we help each other with these things. That there's a context of of godly living among us. Where husbands love their wives. Where wives submit to their husbands. And where children are brought up in the fear of the Lord. May God be merciful. And may he bless us for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, let's sing together. We're going to sing of the, the blessing, the unity that God gives to his people. Psalm 133, the verses 1 and 2.
Let's now call upon the Lord in thanksgiving and prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we come before you this, afternoon, this morning, Lord, and we thank you that you are the king seated on the throne, that you have all power and authority, and that you've invested that authority in different people. Thank you, Lord, that you wish to extend your authority in this world, and that you give some to, to office bearers, to governing officials, to husbands, to masters. Lord, we're grateful that you that you established these structures of authority and that you, you call us to submit to those who are over us. We thank you, Father, that, that by establishing these structures of authority, you, you also teach us how to, to rest under your blessing and to receive your grace in a rich measure in our lives. But sometimes it's difficult for us to submit. Sometimes we, we want what we want. We don't want to, to do what other people tell us want to entrust the wives here in our congregation to your throne of grace, Father. We wish to ask that you would please give them a rich measure of your Holy Spirit that they may submit to their husbands. Please grant that they do so willingly and joyfully. Please work in their hearts that they may have a gentle and a quiet spirit which is of great worth in your sight. Please help them, Father, to, to also help their husbands. Grant that they provide insight and wisdom to their husbands so that their husbands are able to make good decisions. Please grant that, that as husbands and wife that there can be a beautiful relationship of love between us, that in our marriages we may, may love one another dearly. We also pray, Father, that you would help the husbands, that they may provide servant leadership, that they love their wives, that they're willing to lay down their lives for the sake of their wives, that in this way that their wives are able to thrive. Dear Father in heaven, we pray that you would bless our marriages, that we can live together in peace and unity, that there can be great love and understanding among us, and that in this way that we may have a context for our families where we may rest under your blessing. We ask then for our children, that our children can grow up within a context where they get to know who you are and how you relate to your people, that they can understand how they are to relate to you. Father, we need the spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ to do these things. And so we pray that Christ would live in our hearts through faith, and that through faith that we may live and walk in your ways. We also wish to entrust to your throne of grace those wives who are living with husbands who are not wise, who are, who are foolish in the way that they act, who are not fulfilling their roles, and who also at times may even be, be abusive or neglectful. Father, that's one of the more difficult positions for a woman to be in. We ask that you would surround them with your loving care, that you provide for them. Please reveal yourself to them, that they can know you, that they can rest secure in your love towards them. Please strengthen them with your spirit to be able to fulfill the calling that you have given to them. And we pray, Lord, that you would, you would also create the context where it can be different for them. We ask, Lord, that you would help the men of our congregation to take the leadership that you've given them, that they may live in love with their wives, and that if they're sinning against their wives, that they may repent. Please give us your Holy Spirit to that end, and please grant, Lord, that there can be a change of life. Father, we ask that as, as family members, as friends, that we can also rally around these families, that we're able to provide for them and encourage them and love them. And we also pray for the office bearers, that the office bearers can have good oversight of your congregation, 
that we can assist people where there's trouble in marriage, that we can do it in such a way that we call your people to fulfill the biblical roles that you've given them so that there may be peace and that it may go well with them. Please give us as office bearers wisdom. Grant that we may exercise the authority that you've given us in such a way that it may be a blessing for your people. Father, again, we're dependent upon your grace. We pray this for Jesus' sake. We ask, Lord, that you'd also please bless us within our church, that we encourage each other in these matters, that as a community, that there can be many beautiful families, that there can be faithfulness and love, and that this can go on through the generations. Thank you that you have given us so many beautiful marriages. Thank you, Lord, that despite all our unique differences, we can have many, many marriages where, there's, where the people are thriving, where the, the family is under your blessing. We're so grateful for that, Lord. It's one of the most important things in the world. When things are well in the family, where there's peace, then that often leads to righteousness and justice. That leads to, to many blessings. And so we pray for that, and we thank you for it. We also want to ask you, Father, that you would please take care of us in all the other contexts of life. Pray that you would help those who are grieving, I think especially the Husinga family. Tomorrow they, they need to bury their, their husband, their father, their grandfather, their, their loved one. Please be near to, to the family, to the extended family, Father. Please comfort them with the promises of the gospel. Please give them your strength, that they're able to lift their eyes on high in heaven where Christ is, that they can remember the promise that one day there will be a resurrection of the body, that death is not the end, but it is an entrance into eternal glory. At the same time, Lord, there's still a grieving process. Not only for them, but for many others in our church, there's a grieving over loss of relationship. We ask that you would comfort your people with your Holy Spirit, that you enable them to walk through the journey, to rely upon you, and that through your Holy Spirit that you give peace once again. Father, thank you that you've often done this. We pray that this may continue. We also pray, Lord, that you be near to those who have been divorced. There are some in our church who, whose marriages have broken down. They no longer live together as husband and wife. Father, that's, that's a context where there is so much pain, there's so much brokenness, and so much distress. We grieve that these things have happened. And we come to you, Lord, and we pray for your help for that as well. We ask that you be near to those in these circumstances, that you carry them through it, that you also help them to grow close to you, that they may look to you and rely upon you, that they may receive your help and your comfort in life. Lord, please sanctify us. Please continue your work of, of recreating us in the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. Pray, Lord, that you will bless us in the rest of this day. We have a beautiful day of fellowship together with your people. Please grant that we can have a good day of rest, that we can find refreshment, and, and that we have energy for a new week. Please be with the members of our congregation who are traveling. Thank you that, that many people can have holidays. We pray for your blessing over them, that they can have a beautiful trip. They have relaxing times, that they can come home safely in due time. Father, we ask that you would do all these things, not because we deserve them, but we plead with you only on the basis of, of the blood of your Son, our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Brothers and sisters, as the people of God, we are so blessed that we get to hear the message of the gospel and we know how to live holy lives under God's blessing. It's God's desire that many other people share in that as well. It is in Matthew 28 that the Lord Jesus Christ gave this calling to his disciples. 
He said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Well, you now have the opportunity to promote the gospel in P&G through your thank offerings. The, the collection will be for the work of the mission that we support in P&G. And after the collection, we're going to sing together from hymn 49, verses 1 through 4.
Receive now the blessing of God. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.